With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yo, what's up, Surf Splendor Podcast listeners? This is your host, David Scales, welcoming you back to the show. Um, today, we've got an episode of Surf News for you with Scott Bass. We'll get into that in just a moment. The only orders of business that I need to share with you is that our website is surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then, of course, you could find us on social media at Surf Splendor. It's a great way to share the show with friends, and that is all that we ask. You hear me say it all the time, but it is true. We'll keep pumping out the content if you keep sharing it with friends. All right, enjoy this show, and I will be back at the end to sign us off. Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Yeah, guy. What's up, bro? (laughs) What's up, bro? (laughs) Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. So good out there right now. It's been pretty good. Pretty good weekend. (laughs) I ordered some pizza. <laughs> Down the line, Surf Talk Radio. It is April 19th. 19th. Thank a you. Tuesday, our normal broadcast day. A Tuesday. Live to tape. 2016. From the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, San Clemente, California. Surfingheritage.org is their website. What is Surfing Heritage? And Culture Center, Scott. Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. David and I often refer to it as the Smithsonian of the surf world. We're the only ones, but we do. No. Well, since we do, that means everybody does. And the truth is, it is. It is. It's kind of the definitive source for uh, history, surf history, I would say. Yeah, it houses um, perhaps the finest collection, uh, a surfboard timeline, if you will, from dating back to... Um, ancient Polynesia all the way up to today. And so there's a board that represents each and every era mm-hmm. of that timeline. And, um, and it's, and it's finely tuned that timeline. Like there's boards every couple of years, sometimes right. every six months that represent the changes that took place in surfboard design. Yeah. And it operates as a museum, like a gallery space as well. And they do rotating exhibits and that sort of thing. So, um, if you wanted to just come see the the uh, permanent collection, that's available. But there's always a reason to come back every other month or so. There's something new going on. Yeah, there's so. a rotating exhibit, right? Yeah. So, like right now, there's the Paskowitz family exhibit, which is really cool, right? And you and I have spoke at length about the movie Surfwise and blah blah blah. 
Well, when you're talking about the permanent collection of boards, um, a lot of the older stuff honestly kind of falls on deaf ears for me. Like, it's interesting to see what people rode back in the beginning of surfing, but it I can't tease apart the nuance between what was built in 1920 versus what was built in 1935 or something. You know what I mean? But then I go around the corner, and there's Shane Dorian's paddle and gun next to Kelly Slater's world title winning potato chip shortboard, you know, and stuff like that. So um, all of that definitely appears. Yeah, the contemporary boards, right, you can relate to because it's your era. And, yeah. and you can go back a certain a certain way, perhaps a certain length in time you can go back. But um, you just like any history, you have to have uh, a, an interest in it to kind of get into it and to yeah. delve into it, you know. Yeah. And so the ancient boards from, say, ancient Polynesia – if you're into history and understanding the social stratification of Polynesia, those boards represent the social stratification of Polynesia. So the Elia was sort of the common man's board. It was, and, and so what does an Elia look like? Well, it's a piece of plywood, basically. It's yeah. just a, it's just a piece of thin wood that any common man could go, Hey, let's go in the water. I can grab this. And while they're paddling out, they would see the king on his grand, huge 14, 16, 18 foot Olo which is, you know, came from a beautiful tree and represented, you know, much about what it meant to be, you know, in the upper echelon of, of Polynesian society as a king. You know, you rode this glorious, glossed, you know, varnished or however they did it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I never thought about it. So you way. can see the, the social stratification and the way the society was run based on what w- was being ridden. Interesting. Which is interesting because... You know, you look at it now, so the greatest surfers now are riding little 510s, and right. you could argue that the worst surfers are riding 11-foot surfboards. Totally. Probably not made out of koa wood, though. No. <laughs> you know. So I guess what I'm saying is, archaeologically, you know, if you're interested in societies and how they were formed, yeah. what's interesting is that the boards certainly represent yeah. the hierarchy of the society, at least in Polynesia. It's a very interesting spin on it. I've never heard it discussed that way well since we're getting academic yes let's i want to bring in early in the show my duke kahanamoku dude he's number one on my he was the first topic on my list well why don't you go in with it then i'll just say that he is my duke kahanamoku (laughs) and who am i talking i would only assume that you have to be talking about william finnegan for winning the pulitzer prize in the category of biography for his book barbarian days a surfing life. Yes, exactly right. William Finnegan, yesterday it was announced. I'm on I'm stoked that you you pronounced it Pulitzer. Instead of Pulitzer? Yeah. Okay. What's yeah. is Pulitzer the proper pronunciation? I think it is. I'm well, not positive on that, but I it just sounds it sounds like it needs to be pronounced Pulitzer. It depends if you listen to NPR or something else. You know, like right. they refer to the Carnegies as the Carnegie Foundation. Or you just referred to Echelon as Echelon, which I'm not sure. I'm sure I blundered that. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I was know. trying to sound like I knew what I was talking right. about. Right. I, I, but I don't know. You know well, what I mean? Well, Pulitzer it's just like sounds like, you know, it sounds like the National Review and Bill William Buckley and and even more the, liberal, progressive, Northeast academic types. <laughs> Obviously, well, William Buckley's pretty far right wing. But, but you know what I mean? Like, it, it just sounds totally. like somebody that went to Oxford University well, would thank pronounce you. it Pulitzer. I went to a... Date school. So, <laughs> but, well, for you, it's Pulitzer. And where's the Taco Bell? Well, what's funny is um, I, t- I will not refer to him as Bill Finnegan any longer because he just won the Pulitzer. I have to now always refer to him as William Finnegan. William Finnegan the third. 
So break it down. Played lacrosse at Haverford. <laughs> um, break it down. He won 10000 bucks. You and I have read the book. We've talked about the book at length. We think it's a great book. It's based on themes, um, you know, which revolve around sort of a coming of age, you know, and also a well-respected writer and journalist who in some ways sort of was embarrassed by not his surfing lifestyle, but the way that surfing is portrayed in the mass media. And he didn't want to be pigeonholed as, for lack of a better phrase, sort of a Spicoli type. Yeah. Here's a well-educated, great, you know, I think I'm sure he's got a graduate degree, um, you know, a well-respected journalist. And Stout and who right. knew? Nobody knew, at least in this Northeast New York City realm in which he sort of hovered, no one knew that he was just this salty surf cat like you and me that just wanted to go surfing. Yeah, you know? I mean, he's way harder core than I am. I mean, well. the guy traveled the world. <laughs> <laughs> I hang out in warm water locations I'm, I'm biting my exclusively. Right <laughs> um, so he's harder core than all of us are. You know what I mean? Like the guy pioneered icon- now iconic surf spots. Yeah, part of what's neat about what he did is that he did go to Tavaro. He did go to these spots. Um, not be- – you know, he went to Samoa. South Africa, Madeira. He went to places that you could say, although he wasn't the first one there, he did go there before the mass surf media sort of went, hey, look at me. I'm the guy who was there first. He never celebrated that he was the first guy there until 2016, 2015 yeah. when he wrote this book. I mean, he easily could have waved the flag and went, hey, man, I was there first, locals only, blah, 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 or whatever. You when know, just I say done pioneer, the- I don't mean like was the first, but surfed restaurants in cloud break before they were named restaurants there was no restaurant on the beach there was no it wasn't known as cloud break at that time so he was surfing it other people were surfing it but it wasn't published in magazines and it wasn't named and there wasn't a, sort of a like a vibe that he went there to be the first one to go no, there his no. journey there was because he and a buddy just were like leaving a girl leaving ex-girlfriends or or right. or you know they were just like trying to figure out their path in life and um, they weren't sure what it was, and they just loved to write, and they figured, hey, let's grab our guitars and a surfboard, and let's go somewhere. Hey, there's waves there. Let's go there. Maybe they end up in Canada for a little while or snowboard or skiing in Idaho. or you know. So it's not specific to like, hey, man, let's go, let's go. Let's go challenge and tackle the big waves of this spot and conquer it. No. It's more of a, hey, where should we go now? I don't know, you know. Put your finger on a map and we'll go there. And it, you know what I mean? So it didn't have this, this, the underpinnings of we're going to go conquer a surf spot and tell everyone about it. Right. Which is endearing to all of us. Well, yeah, it is. And that's why it won the Pulitzer because it's a coming of age tale. And part of his coming of age is surfing, but it's not a surfing book, right. you know? Right. Whereas, like, you watch maybe Point Break, the movie, or the, or North Shore is probably a better example where it's like Hollywood's ambition was let's make a surf film now let's take the karate kids plot line and instead of karate use surfing you know that's all that it was so this it's just it's a guy i mean it it could have just as well been another sport you know i think that it's a little more mad i actually don't think that i think it's more magical that it is surfing and that you know you are you and i can i mean i think the neat thing is is that the surfers that read it really go wow incredible book because he really nailed a lot of things that a lot of us feel and 
the non-surfers read it and they go, oh, this is finally they somebody's written about an, a space that was difficult to write about and yeah. has done it in sort of a, a with a sense of humility about it. That wasn't like, you know, pounding on my chest, look at me, I'm yeah. Kong, ah, surf conqueror. So I think, you know, it, it both both parties can relate to the to the book, right? Like the totally. New York types got it. The you literary know, the New York community. Times, yes, thank yeah. you. The literary community got yeah. it. So one thing we didn't mention is Finnegan's been a staff writer at The New Yorker for 20 years. And Hold on for just a yeah, sec. Yeah, go ahead. If the Karate Kid's plot was put onto the North Shore, who's the who's the the um, old guy in the Karate Kid, The sort of the sensei? What was his name? Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi. So does that make Aki Mr. Miyagi? And <laughs> there are parallels. I don't think Aki would be Mr. Miyagi. No, Chandler would. Chandler would be yeah, Mr. Chandler's Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi. Right. And then Jerry Lopez would be the Cobra Kai. I never saw the Karate Kid. So oh, okay. All right. Well, I, I didn't. I would love to take credit for recognizing the parallels, but it's a thing. Like, oh, I, you, you grabbed it from somewhere. I else. pulled it from maybe the internet eight years ago. I yeah. saw something like it was a video, maybe on YouTube or It'll something. Be on the inertia next week. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Ouch. Want me to edit that part out? No, uh, I love I'm just those kidding. guys. I'm just kidding. But no, it's like something I saw on the internet a long time ago just drew all these parallels between the two films, and they were like almost shot for shot. Oh, that's a remake. Oh, that's of, so cool. Yeah. I'll look it up, actually. I think I have seen that, but I never really dove into the article. I mean, honestly, it was so long ago that I'm not really able yeah. to access what all the parallels were, and I haven't right. even seen those films in a long time. Yeah. Although I don't know that we could really call them films. What would <laughs> we call them? Let's just call them movies. Productions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're just movies. They're, they're just flicks. Movies. They're yeah. surf flicks. Flicks, for sure. So, Finnegan, um, staff writer at the New Yorker, New Yorker for 20 years, but what I didn't realize was it was... Um, on the Pulitzer's website talking about this, his, this surf project, they said has been a, it began as a series in the pages of the New Yorkers over the last two decades. And then he put it into a book. I was under the impression that he hadn't really been writing about it or that the only thing that he really wrote about it that got included into the book was the bit with Mark Renneker in San Francisco. But they said that it was a series and that the most recent piece was off diamond head was actually an excerpt from the book. Yeah. And as I recall, and I'm probably going to butcher this. So if you've read the book, please feel free to, to enlighten us. But as I recall, cause I did read it. Um, he was sort of like bummed that like he, he signed up for this New Yorker deal. He did the two Renneker pieces. They came off great. And then the New Yorker's like, Hey, let's make this a series mm -hmm. surf is hot. And I think he sort of internally cringed a little bit and went, I don't really want to put this out there. I'd much rather go to Serbia or wherever and, and do, be a war correspondent. Mm -hmm. for, you know? And so I think he kind of cringed a little bit. And I think he kind of put it, pushed his editors off and put, kept them at bay for a while. Okay. And finally just went – and again, he may have done a couple more pieces. But I think he just went, you know what? I'm just going to do this as one big unit as a book piece. And yeah. that way I can have more control over it instead of the editors butchering it. Or sure. Well, we're both fans. Um, episode 113 of Surf Splendor, I did an interview with um, Finnegan, and that was really well received. It was all about the book. So That's cool. If I need to listen to that. that out. You yeah. should definitely check that out. Yeah. I've heard um, NPR's interview with Finnegan. Yeah. The San Diego uh, KPBS affiliate, mm -hmm. which I do the surf report for, and um, yeah. I listened to that before. There I was a little mention him. of me, the surf reporter, in that one. Just what? <laughs> when they talk to Finnegan, they're like, the lady, I've, what's her name, Mary or Marie? Um, Marie, I don't Marie. Yeah, Marie. But anyway, 
I'm just yeah. No, I have my own affiliate. Like I listen to that station as well, but it's different. I don't get your Surfcast fee or your uh, Surf Report. Oh, your loss. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> you can catch my Surf Report every morning on BoardroomShow.com. Perfect. Yes. Well, then maybe I'll check it out there. Well, great, great, Duke. Um, do you want to get into the Margaret River event, or did you have another topic? Um, I've got plenty of good stuff. Let's. Get do we into- lead off with that, or where do you where do you want to go? With Margaret River? What do you want to do? Sure, let's just do some Margaret River. You don't seem too ambitious. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to riff on what you say about it. I mean, I kind of feel like... Did you watch it? Of course I did. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I watched it. Okay, Julian Wilson, Seabass, Zietz met in the final. Great Se- final. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, great to see Seabass, who got bumped off tour last year. This is the real story. And uh, they covered it at length on the WSL, yeah. so we don't really need to. Thank you. But Seabass, was he a wild card or an injury replacement into this event? I think he might be injury replacement. I think replacement. he's injury replacement. Yeah. So he got into this event, got into the last couple events, but he's in this event, makes it to the final against Julian. Um, the waves for Margaret River main break, to be honest, were good. Like yeah. better than I expect out yeah. of Margaret River main break. Um, Seabass won the event. You just said, um, I know Scott and I were talking before we got on the air about saying, um, way too much because thank you listeners. You let us know, uh, shoot. Anyway, I love Julian Wilson. Always have always will. I would, I mean, there's few people that I would rather surf like than Julian. He's just so polished, so beautiful to watch. But even as his biggest fan, I can't help, but feel like he is too measured too predictable, too polished, where it's not really that exciting. He stands up on a wave, and I could tell by the quality of the wave itself whether he's going to get a six or an eight. And few times does he get less than that. But it's like I could see the wave, and I'm like, all right, cool. We got an eight coming. Julian's going to have a pair of eights, and that's how this heat's going to go. Seabass stands up on a wave. I'm like, could be a one, could be a 10. And it could be a two-foot wave, or it could be an eight-foot wave. I have no idea what's going to happen. And that defines the winning surfers so far in 2016. It defines Matt Wilkinson. We don't know if that guy's going to fall or do the gnarliest turn we've ever seen. And so we've seen that success. And I feel like that's kind of what the judges want to see now more than ever is explosive spontaneity, spontaneity, the rawness that we loved out of Andy Irons back in the day, you know? So Seabass really, really uh, embodies that as well as Wilco does. Almost to a greater degree because he has less success than Wilco does. Um, that and so Julian, on the other hand, it's like I I love the polishness of Julian, but in a contest platform, I think it's almost doing him a disservice in the same way that it did Parco a disservice for a decade. Well, look, Julian made the final. I don't think there's any disservice there. I agree with what you're saying that there's more spontaneity in Seabass's surfing. Uh, I would agree with that. I think the last wave where he got the score that he needed with just one or two turns, two turns, two turns um, sort of speaks to that. Um, oops, I said um. I know. Julian Wilson, he's, he's doing what his coach wants him to do. He's doing what he does. He's getting eights. I think if there was another surfer against him in the final, he may have won the final. Yeah. You know, as an injury replacement in the final, he's kind of got nothing to lose. I'm speaking of Seabass. Sure. Uh, So 
he's you know surfing with abandon mm-hmm. and but he does normally surf like that right but he often falls right so that's the one been or his the downfall ten, right the one or Literally. the ten yeah. yeah but a great final and i was a little disappointed i wanted julian to win not only because i have him on my team me too um but it's re- quite refreshing seabass is sort of like like a suburban version of Andy Irons almost. You yeah. Know, he, he just doesn't have, he's like a night. I don't want to say nice cause Andy was nice, but he's, he's like a, he's, he's like a polished version. And I mean, when I'm talking about post heat interviews and who he is as a human being, he's like a polished cause he's just, I, he's not quite as radical as Andy, but he has yeah. all that raw. Like we mentioned spontaneity, rawness. You feel like this is Andy. Like you see him, you're like, wow, this is really like something like, this guy's aggressive, you They're know. Both Kawaiian as well. Yeah, exactly, right. And so he's just this polished version of Andy. So it's kind of refreshing. He doesn't have the dark side that Andy had. Right. That's really what it is, I think. Yeah. You know, Andy would get up there and he'd drop a few curse words and like show his anger and aggression. Last year when Seabass lost at Trestles due to due to an interference, which was kind of just like a hiccup. It wasn't really even a big deal, but he lost. He came back in and he smiled and he joked about it. He didn't even care, you know? And so Andy would have smashed his board into the rocks. Yeah. yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. Seabass also has three thumbs. I don't know if you knew that about him. <laughs> this is not a joke. I think you've mentioned this before. It's not a proper third thumb, but on one of his, it's his right thumb, there's a growth out at a 90 degree angle. I think that's cheating. It's I a think nub. We need to lance the carbuncle at its <laughs> source right away. <laughs> Extra paddle power. Dude. Yeah, that's not right. Definitely. It's funny, you know, we, we sit here and we go, you know, we talk about Andy's dark side as if, I mean, f- from from the standpoint that you and I come from as guys that are speaking into microphones, I love the dark side of Andy Irons. Of it's course great to talk about, yeah. you know. But I, we also love that Seabass is, is polished, I guess is the word I'm going to use, or is just a suburban version of Andy, you know. And there's no better or worse. It's just two different sides of the coin, and they're both – lead to great discussion about great surfers. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the surfing specifically. Um, Julian Wilson, one of the most beautiful turns of the event, and he did it repeatedly, is just that bottom turn. They talk about it ad nauseum. So again, I hate to overkill. But bottom turn where his face is, is, Julian's face is almost touching the wave face as he's bottom turning. And he's just, it's like so gnarly when you watch the thing in slow-mo. It's really incredible, and it obviously positions him for a great top turn. Those always look cool, too. So that's one of my favorite things to watch that everybody can learn from. Adriano kind of has a little bit of it, just doesn't look as cool. Seabass, his top turn, rail grab top turn, is so gnarly. And the gnarliest ones that he was doing were actually at Bell's on the bowl, where one of them went into a... 360 yeah like it was a full power gouge in the pocket it was a one of those club sandwiches wasn't it, it? turned into a club sandwich yeah. turn the club sandwich would be like through the lip and you're actually kind of out of the water for a right. minute this one was a club in sandwich the in the wave face yeah but it started as a power turn that somehow went into a slide and then he just spun out of it but it was he's grabbing the rail the whole time which just as a you know feat of acrobatics is very very difficult to do i mean i'm not that limber i couldn't do it on the ground right now if i tried much less a surfboard right. coming out of a bottom turn on a wave face that's like six feet at bells you know what i mean just either like, can william in, finnegan so don't, don't hold it against you. 
insane. So I loved that turn that Julian started doing earlier in the season, but then he did different variations of it here, and this is how he won the final. But then he would also, like he broke the tail free. You and I were talking about a turn before the mics went on, um, and you were saying you don't really like it when the tail releases as much. But what happened with Seabass is his tail releases, which makes you think that he's going to fall. And then he recovers, and yeah. now it's spontaneous again, and that's what we right. want. Right. There's that teetering on to, to catastrophe thing that, that's kind of intriguing to us and gets everyone goes, oh. Where, yeah, Julian's tail broke free on a turn, but it never looked uncontrolled. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, that was sick, but he had it planned. You know? And the turn that we're talking about, uh, hopefully I can dissect this correctly, but when the guys, when the surfers are at the top of the wave and they're in, in the middle of their top turn and they're, they're going from their inside toe edge to, and they're laying now all their weight on their heel outside rail. And they keep that weight implanted on that rail through the length of the wave face coming all the way down to the bottom. And they're still engaged on the outside rail with their weight through the fade of the bottom turn and then can maintain that speed and transfer over to the toe side. Yeah. That's the turn that seems to be the turn du jour. Just I don't know if I characterized that or explained that cr- quite right, but I'll add to it. Yeah. It's essentially a downturn. It's it's like a it's like a top turn snap combination between a top turn snap and a cutback somewhere in between that cuz it's like more drawn out than a top turn. Right. But it's not a full wrap like a cutback, right? It's in, but it is kind of a downturn. That is a downturn, and but they stay gnarly. on that outside rail. It's, it's a downturn, but like way more power and way more gnarly. And what you're liking about it is it's an old school line. Yeah, it's a line that guys used to draw when they had more fifty fifty rails and couldn't quite like get the the hard edge grab that you get off like high performance surfing. But it's a more beautiful line. It's an S turn. If you look at the line that the board draws, it's an S basically. Yeah, there's always there's occasionally there's a moment about at the end of that turn where if the waves hollow and got a lot of transition in the bottom, they actually kind of get a little tippy toe right. right there, and I'm sure that that helps with with scoring. So who's done that turn to the greatest effect? Julian does it really he well. He does it beautifully. <clears throat> Julian does it really well. Yeah. Um, there's some. I think Kyoke does it. I think uh, Connor Coffin does Connor it. Does a great one. Jordy does a Jordy beautiful does it. One. Yeah. Uh, John John, I've John, seen him John. It, It's definitely, I don't know if it's the turn du jour, but it's the turn this season that I've noticed that's like, wow, they're all really railing out here and they're staying on that outside rail. They're not coming, and they're not necessarily wrapping into the whitewash. They're going down, like you say. It's right. a downturn into the flats of the wave. Right. And the, But then the important part is what comes after that, which is the smooth transition into the bottom turn Without pumping off the bottom. No pumping. You can't pump off the bottom. No. It goes downturn into like long drawn out bottom turn, then boom, right into the lip again. That's the thing. And we've talked about it sort of ad nauseum. But the really great bottom turns, like the one you mentioned with Julian and all of these other guys that do the really great bottom turns, there's you don't see this check, fin check, yeah. fin check, fin check. Okay, now I'm going to set my bottom turn. It's one smooth, progressive turn into the bottom turn without these like little fin checks, like almost like you're testing to see if I'm going to be able to do this turn. Which Seabass did in the final, which I noted and criticized. Because it was like incredible first turn, but then set his fins, check it, 
and then another incredible turn. And I'm like, well, Julian, Julian's from when he stands up to when he finishes the ride is just one smooth line the entire time. Yeah. You got to love it. But again, it lacks the spontaneity. Um, I will argue, though, the reason why you're seeing that turn this year, not as opposed to last, but is just the venues, the locations. I agree. That turn works really well at Bell's. It's required of you at Margaret's just to maintain pacing with the wave. Yeah. And so I don't know that we'll see it moving forward. We won't see it at Lowers. You don't see it at Snapper. You know, Snapper's too fast. You won't see it at Lowers either. Yeah. You know? But um, I will say that Julian... I know this was his best result, and he's disappointed in the first two events of the season. But you get the sense, and even from the the broadcast, you you hear the the webcast guys talking about, you know, Jake Patterson on his coach, um, a lot of focus mm-hmm. on Julian yeah. from Julian, and so I think that uh, from a fantasy surfer perspective, I wouldn't be surprised that. After the next three events, you see Julian in the number one position. I wouldn't disagree. And he's on my team. He's been on my team. And he made the final last year at Cloudbreak, right, with with Owen. And so, and he's won the Pipe Masters. And he's incredible at Yeah, Lowers. I don't doubt him so, in any of the good waves. It's the waves that are Rio. maybe spread out or like a beach break like France where like, yeah. you know, there's more of a coin toss as far as getting the wave. Right. Interesting. Um Let's talk about speed, power, and flow for a second. Talking about that top turn. I've got this dilemma where if speed, power, and flow are key essentials in the criteria, power being one of those three, you look at Jordy Smith, how powerful that dude is. How do you judge Jordy? Jordy lost to Kayo. Okay. Kayo's a third lighter than Jordy is. He's a third, not a third shorter, but like he's a few inches shorter. A 20% Jordy turn. Let's uh, let me be fair. A 50% Jordy turn is more powerful than a hundred percent Kayo turn. And so you just watch, based on pure physics. Yes. Yeah. If you were able to scientifically test the amount of force going into Jordy's foam right. and the wave face versus what Kayo's doing, it's significantly greater. And so I watch Jordy cruising through turns and it's like so much power. And I watch Kayo skating through turns and Kayo's an incredible surfer. I'm not taking it away from him, but Kayo ends up winning that heat. And it's like, I get it. I understand why Kayo won the heat. It's totally justifiable. I'm not shaming the judges, but we need to somehow consider how the judging is even done because Jordy's so gnarly and he doesn't get credit for it, you know? Well, it's it's the same it's the same argument that we have with the Philippe Toledo aerial thing. Yeah. It's the same, you with know, like John everything John seems to be Kyle. relevant yeah. to what is expected of the surfer based on past performance and what we know about the surfer from a It's an standpoint. inherent flaw. It is, but you know what? Judging um, subjective, it just it, it it's going to be there forever. In our sport, it is well, any subjective judging. No, I mean judging is subjective in our sport. Yeah, it's right. not subjective in bowling. No, no, but a, I mean in in like yeah. Olympic dance or whatever. Okay. You know, so a, any sport that is judged subjectively, yeah, you're going to have these ongoing dilemmas and ongoing discussions and some criticisms. You know, and the same. You know, right next, sitting next to you is a guy that's like, hey, Kyo was fresher. Or yeah. look snappier, or whatever you know, and, and you and you can't invalidate his argument. You know, you Although, can disagree with it. Yeah, I mean, I guess where my dilemma is, 
you could ask, you could line up 10 people and ask them who the better surfer is. Anybody who knows surfing and watches surfing, who's the better surfer, Jordy or Kayo? I'm going to argue 10 out of 10 would probably say Jordy. Yet you get them in these heat scenarios and Kayo constantly pushes through past John John twice now, past Jordy. And again, I understand why, given our judging criteria, why Kayo won, but I can't help but cringe a little bit because Jordy's so much gnarlier. And the um, that is kind of part of the criteria. Speed, power, and flow is part of the criteria. And Jordy's being more powerful. What we really want to see is, is somebody he being put, faster. Is he being speedier? Well, what we really want to see flowing more. What we really he's flowing more for sure. What we really want to see. You don't like Kaya, do you? I do like Kaya. You, you Just hate Jordy's Kaya. no, but Jordy's flow is incredible. You can say it. I don't. But here's what we really want to see, and this isn't in the judging criteria. What we really want to see. And what constantly scores high is somebody pushing their own limits. We we know that Jordy's more powerful than Kyle, but what we want to see is Jordy pushing the limits of his own power. That's the elephant we, in the room. It is. It? We want to see Jordy pushing a turn so hard that his board he buckles breaks. a board. Or that the fins come free like Seabasses did in the final on yeah. that nine-point ride. And if somebody's pushing their own boundaries, then we're going to give them excellent a score that's in the range of excellent surfing. It's, that's that's fascinating. It's not, it's not enough that right. this that if Kaya was doing the surfing that Jordy's doing, right. Kaya would be getting nine point fives. Yeah. But because Jordy's doing it, he's getting a six. That's that's interesting. And um, like I said, you know, it's going to be something that we get to talk about for years and years and years because it's not going to change. Yeah, I would say that the thing that's missing from Jordy isn't his speed, power, and flow. It's a mental thing. Like when I see Kayo, I think, God, he's got the drive that Adriano has. Totally. And that's like a Brazilian nationalistic. It's just it something. Is. And it's not even national. It's just it, it's inherent in individuals, no matter what your nation is. There's just people that have that like Joey Baran vibe, you know? Well, there there are. You can name individuals <clears throat> from anywhere in the world. Right. But it definitely seems to be ingrained well, it, in the Brazilian it is. culture. Yeah, there's well. a machismo there that's part of their thing. There's a win-win-win, soccer, soccer, soccer. And they've had to fight football, for football, it. Football, 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 and they have to fight for yeah. it. And, and, and When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You know, I I know that you're drawn to it. I know I'm drawn to it. I like it when there's when you can see that the guy has a mental edge because mm-hmm. he just wants it more. I totally Kyle agree. wants it. Well, here's um, an interesting thought about Jordy. I'm not saying Jordy doesn't want it. I know Jordy's given 100%. Well, but at the end of the day, his 100% mental doesn't match up to Kyle's 100%. Just mental. like the power doesn't match up in the opposite, you know? Yeah, but I, if, no, I, I, would, I would say that if Jordy really gave 100%, that, that power Agreed. would show up. Cause, well, here's where Jordy might find the mental change is he's got Chris Gallagher as his coach. You mentioned um, – Julian Wilson having Jake. Jake Patterson as his coach. We all know very well now Glenn Micro Hall has been a huge asset to Wilkinson and to Tyler Wright on the women's side who also won this event, um, the Margaret River event over Courtney. Isn't Conley Tyler Wright in the guys' division? No. Huh. Is that a joke? No. I- <laughs> Owen Wright. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if that was the worst joke ever or just like – <laughs> sincerely uh, a blunder. No, what I was saying is, is she surfs with power. She's oh, a great oh, surfer. She could beat some of the guys. I see what you mean. Yeah, no, she's gnarly. So here's the question is, or not the question, just the comment is about coaching. Is this the year of the coach? Everybody who's making finals are coached when... They've always had coaches. No, not necessarily. Well, I mean... Wilco certainly look, didn't. Jordy didn't. Right. Julian but I mean, might have, but... I think, you know... Certain co- it, Maybe it's the year of the coach, but it's not the first time they've had coaches. No, of course right. not. But just yeah, like maybe this you're is- right. I like that. It is kind of the year of the coach. At least the broadcast people are bringing it out, right? They mentioned Gerd. They mentioned Snips with Kaloe. But Snips has always been there with Kaloe. Gerd's taken a couple of years off with Connor, and they just brought him back in Australia. Um, and we saw him perform at Bells probably largely due to that. But I mean... How much do you think those guys get paid? Well, it turns out... Is there a percentage of winnings? I could tell you. Yeah, tell me. Okay. Tell us. I'll tell you what I know, which isn't a comprehensive analysis, but I remember um, some young surfers getting coached by Gallagher, you know, a couple of years ago, and I think he was billing like 500 bucks a day or something like that, which is a lot of money. <laughs> it seems like a lot well, of money. Well, I mean, that's me. a standard day, right? Okay. I mean, I mean, 500 bucks a day, I, I think that's legit. Now, yeah. can the guy afford it? I don't know, but right. I don't think that's asking too much. Well, in terms of kind of A-list up-and-coming pro surfers, they can afford it. They can or cannot? Can. Yeah. Yes, they can. Um, So what I saw written about um, Glenn Hall's arrangement is that he gets a percentage of the winnings. So the better that his surfers do, the better he gets paid. And what was funny about that article was they said he's making more money now as a coach than he was when he was on tour last Probably year. the entire career. Yeah. They're like, he's killing it. <laughs> I wonder a, how much he made. Well, because Wilco made 100 grand. Like the grand prize What's is 100 What's the percentage? Grand. I don't know. They didn't it's disclose. It's got to be 10%. They didn't disclose the percentage. I bet it's 10. But they were saying. I don't know, but I'm just assuming like 10%. I like caddies, you know, golf caddies. Yeah. I think they make 10%. I would think it'd be more. They make a good, dude. If your guy wins 1.5 million in a golf tournament, you just made 150 grand. Yeah, but for, for the, the Wilco scenario, Glenn Hall's only making 10k. 
Yeah, but I mean, the percentage is 10%. That's what I'm saying, like 10%. I know, but I think it would be a higher percentage because the numbers aren't as large. Right, you'd need more to live. You do, and because Wilco isn't depending on contest winnings to make a living. Right. You know, like he's making his living off of sponsors. So in terms of contest winnings, he could give up 50% of that, and it wouldn't affect him really. Yeah. So anyway, uh, good on Glenn Hall for killing it. And by the way, his business, Micro Surf Academy, is his main business nowadays. What a boon. Like, this is his first year doing Micro Surf Academy for the first time, full time. He needs to hire some other people. (laughs) Right out of the gates, he's smashing it, which is funny because right before the World Tour, the event started this year at Snapper, I saw him coaching some Groms in Oceanside. You know, and I'm like, oh, wow, Glenn Hall's really fallen from grace. He was serving serving Pipeline two months ago. On the WCT, and now he's coaching Groms at two-foot Oceanside Harbor. (laughs) Like, wow. And then three weeks later, he's on the Gold Coast collecting a check with Matt Wilkinson. It's too bad. That's not a scalable thing. That's what I'm saying. Like, he should hire you to be like, you know, yeah, this is, you know. Yeah. This is one of our coaches. My B-level coach. No, you know, A-minus level. C-level. He needs to scale that business. Yeah. Quickly. Well, maybe he will, but right now he's just... Who are some of the other coaches? You mentioned Jake Patterson, Michael Hall. We mentioned Brad Gerlach. We mentioned Mike Parsons. Chris Gallagher for Chris Gallagher. Didn't Chris coach CJ Hobgood? I think Gallagher was in Hobgood's camp. Well, or he Damien's was or providing something. boards, I remember. I'm he sure was doing some coach. And there's Mitch Thorson, like these guys that get hired regionally for specific spots. There's regional guys. Um, Dave McCauley, doesn't he get hired maybe. for Margaret River too? Or maybe. Something? His daughter's surfing well in the event. Yeah. Um, there's also Stephen Bell was with Kelly Slater, notoriously. And Not he's, notoriously. With, he's with that Leonardo Leo. guy. Well, he's Leo's stepdad. Oh, he is? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, where it all happened. Yeah, so he... Hooked up with Leo's mom a number of years ago, um, Italian, and they've been together ever since. Oh, okay. And, um, so he gets free coaching. So there's <laughs> there's that. there's And that's why he's part of the Quicksilver stable, too. Right. Like that whole thing is connected. Um, there was somebody else. Other coaches? Too, on that Quicksilver side of things. Oh, there's the... Um, who is... Uh, uh, I, I, I thought I saw some other coaches on the stairs there leading down to Margaret River. Oh, um... Uh, Oakley guy, regular foot, uh, Tom Whitaker. Whitaker, yeah. Whitaker's always part of the Oakley camp. Right. Great surfer, too. So, um, you know who's surfing I saw uh, in the free surf sessions was Ross Williams. Freaking rips, dude. We love Ross as a commentator, and I've loved Ross as a surfer my whole life. But it's like... He's still shredding. yeah. Ross has got a great style. He's, he's one of those guys shredding. that'll be a good sur- like he's he's just a stylist. He was His always like a stylist. So yeah. secure. Yeah. Um, great to see Parko's return to form in this event. I think Parko is surfing beautifully. He seems kind of hungry too for the first time in a long yeah. Time. Like like everyone, all his bros are gone. He's like the, yeah. the the lone salty old guy. Yeah. And he's like doesn't have anyone to hang with. He's like screw it. Totally. I'm going to kick these kids' ass. Well, you got to you got to consider this an opening for him because he's been overshadowed by his good buddy Mick, who's won three world titles. Mick's taking some time off. Taj going into retirement. Slater's not really a threat anymore. Parko's got a big opening. That's what to I mean. Really do the, some damage. The, he's the only old guy that anyone yeah. can count on, and he's the king of that two turn eight. You know yeah, that we saw George, or that we saw Seabass doing. I mean, for years and years and years, Parko, all he has to do is drop two big hammers and he gets an eight point red. So, um, I got a question for you about Idolo because we love Idolo and he's on my team. Okay, good. Yep. Smart pick. How did my team do, by the way? I didn't check yeah. it. 
By the way, Fantasy Surfer, um, I have not crunched the numbers yet. It's been a few days since the event start- ended. I'll get that done in the next 24 hours and get payment off to the right people. <laughs> That's that code sort of for the money's being shipped offshore somewhere. Yeah, got to replenish the account. <laughs> um, right so I'll on. get that sorted. But Idolo, my question to you with Idolo is, yes. he's radical and he's you know, getting eight turns in and on a wave that we are only seeing somebody else stays do three busy. turns in. Stay busy, smashes end sections in the front of The semifinal was disappointing. All that... Here's my only question with Idolo. In a year from now, in two years from now, will we look back at Idolo as Jadson Andre 2.0? Remember when Jadson no. came out and Jadson would do the gnarliest, biggest moves, but no. it's too uh, ratchety and it's too hyperactive. No, and in I mean, hindsight, I don't, I don't it's just so. not, it's not, okay, you I, don't. I don't think so. Okay. No, I think he's the real deal. Okay. And, um, in a weird way, he sort of supplanted Willie Dantas, if anything. He didn't supplant Jadson. He, really? Yeah. Mm, maybe. Two super fast, powerful backsiders. Yeah. I mean, he's undeniably powerful, but his strength is his flicks, I think, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I've interchangeable. Loved, I've, <laughs> not for me. I've loved him. I mean, Wiggly Dantas is the replacement for um, Adrian Buchan. You know, it's funny. I was looking at the rankings this morning just before the show, right? Yeah. And you look at the rankings and you go, God, it's filled with guys that just get it done. And I know that sounds almost cliche or like, of course, that's a stupid statement, you know? But Nat Young, Ace Bucking, like not necessarily guys. This is almost like kind of blue-collar guys. Those are our blue-collar guys now. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You, it, it's – I mean, Kyle. He gets it done. He really does. Um, guys that are up there right now, and of course, I mean, it, again, it's like, yeah, that's why they're up there. They got it done. But two guys. Who it seems like there's some blue collar stuff going down there. Yeah, there really are. Let, well, the blue collar surfer of the event, to be honest, was Leonardo Fioravanti, um, injury replacement. He's from Rome. He's number one on the QS ratings. He got this injury replacement into this event and took down Slater. I think he took down – did he take down Gabriel Medina? Oh, no, Adriana de Souza. He took down world champs. And, I mean, it was shocking, but to be honest, I don't remember his surfing at all. Like, it was not memorable. It was fundamentally sound. He would do bottom turn and top turns in critical sections. He'd pick off set waves. Sometimes he'd only get two waves of heat. I think the one against Slater, he got two waves. Slater got a bunch. Um, but he picked the two best waves and surfed them technically, soundly, and he won the heat. Tech, it's funny. Tech, tech each event, there seems to be one wild card that there's a certain buzz around. that For whatever reason, because it's new, fresh blood, no one's really seen him. They all want. There's a lot of eyeballs on him in his heats. Last year, Jay Davies was that guy. Yeah. By the way, what happened to him? I put so him on my sad. team at your request. So sad. Just he's gone. We'll never hear from Jay Davies again. I mean, you'll see like you'll see some. You'll tell me, oh, dude, he's got a great clip. Blah blah blah. But I mean, as far as competitive surfing, I don't think we'll ever hear from Jay Davies again. I refuse to listen to that. And I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just saying, like that was the wild card du jour. I think this Leonardo guy is the wild card du jour. Well, I don't. Will we see him in three years? Yeah, because he is the tactician. That's the problem with Leo for me is that he will. He's just going to make heats. He's going to win the QS because he's just going to make heats, but his surfing is not going to be memorable. He's going to be the ace bucking. He's going to be the Wiggly Dantas, you know? 
Here's the one problem I had with him, by the way, and he almost landed on my kook list this week because of this, but I felt bad. He's only 18 years old. I didn't want to really take it He's old him. enough to go to war. He can be on your kook list. <laughs> well, he can vote, drink, There was smoke. somebody else who deserved it uh, more than he did. Is he older? Yes. <laughs> um, so my problem with him, and this was just, I think, Ronnie Blanke's, uh analysis, analysis and, and hearsay and rumor, so I, I don't really want to give it that much weight. But He dated Ronnie's girl? No, he said that in the competitor area, Leo was vocally criticizing and calling out veteran surfers. They were all watching the heats. He's watching the heat in the water, and vet surfers are making tactical mistakes. Like, he should have say, done this. He should not have done that. He should have done yeah. this. Oh, like, why didn't why he, he do that? Why is he going on that wave? He does not deserve the win. Why is, <laughs> why is he going on that wave? Why is he doing that type of a turn in that type of a section? Like, He should know better. That's... You know, that guy's been on tour for 10 years. He should just be sitting out the back waiting for a set wave. And people, wow, are, people I'm glad that people this guy's doing this. Well, people are kind of writing him off. And like even Ronnie's like laughing at the kid going, dude, you better keep your mouth shut. Like you're among veterans. But then Leo went out and he waxes Slater. And then he comes in and goes, yeah, I told you what you should be doing is sitting and waiting for set waves. He didn't say that to Slater. But then he, they all kind of go, well, maybe you got lucky. Well, then he goes out and he does it to Adrian or uh, Adriana DeSouza. So... It's like crap. He's kind of talking crap and ruffling feathers, but then going out there and backing it up. Good for him. So uh, that made me no. That actually made me not like him because you want him to be respectful of his elders. No, because I've been punked by young kids and (laughs) I've made me feel crappy about myself. All about your resentment to (laughs) because this year at Thanksgiving I was at my mom's house and my little brother smoked me at ping pong. (laughs) And talked crap the entire time, and I couldn't do anything about it. You know what? Save it for the therapist, because this is a surf talk show. I know. It was like, (laughs) I I did my best, and I couldn't beat him. All right. And so so now Leo talking crap made me feel... This is an age resentment that's Really is. That's really what this is. All right. So anyway, we'll see what happens. He'll be... I mean, we're going to see him again, um, because he's that good of a competitor. Yeah. Is his surfing going to blow our minds? I'm waiting. Yeah. You know? Well, it was a good event. Yeah. Looking forward to the Brazil event. Not really. Kind of. (laughs) Competitively, I am, but I'm not. Yeah. yeah, It's my least favorite stop on tour. That'll last year took place right during the boardroom show, by the way. And I was staying up late after being at the boardroom show all day and then waking up at 5 a.m. to watch heats. I'm sorry for you. I know. And then going to the boardroom show and being like, hey, did you see Felipe's air? Uh, No wonder you were so tired and disheveled and unshaven. Gave you my, my, uh, bare minimum at the boardroom <laughs> by the way you're not going to swoop any chicks with that look you need to kind of get your shit together okay? what, what's the problem with the look what do i need shave like, yeah yeah you need to clean up the act like it's looking a give little... me some pointers dude i'm listening <laughs> i'm just saying like just you know all right we're gonna take portraits and then post them on instagram <laughs> and see chicks double tap i'm Scott happily married David. to a beautiful wife i'm good all right well easy for you to criticize let me though. chime in on pure speculation yep yep okay i wrote this article I'm not sure if everyone read it, but I'm going to read it for you, okay? Okay. Last week, the World Surf League announced WSL Pure. According to the press release, WSL Pure, it's an acronym for Progressive Understanding and Respect for the Environment. I like it. WSL Pure. It's WSL's philanthropic initiative dedicated to supporting ocean health through the key areas of research, education, and advocacy. The first act of the WSL Pure was a $1.5 million gift in funding to Columbia University's Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory. 
Well, guess what? What? According to Wikipedia, Dirk Ziff, who's the deep pockets behind the big investment into the WSL and pro surfing, some have suggested $100 million at this point. And that's just a, uh, a number that we came up with. I don't know that to be fact. Well, Dirk Ziff earned his Bachelor of Arts from Columbia University. Not surprising, right? Many successful alums give back to their respective universities. David, I know you give back to um, Phoenix, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. You're on a roll today. But this is more than simple philanthropy. Philanthropy? Philanthropy. Philanthropy. If it's NPR, it's philanthropy. Speaking of University of Phoenix. (laughs) (laughs) Philanthropy. This is more than simple philanthropy. Go, I'll go out on a very short limb here, David. I'm going to tell you that the WSL will soon become a full-fledged 501c nonprofit. Boom. Uh, going to go out on a short limb. What do you talk like that? Ocean, you're just making a speculate. I'm speculating okay. that, that all of these things, I'm, I'm seeing all of these different bullet points and I'm seeing these different um, sort of, What's the word I'm looking for, David? Things that are out Precursors. There. Thank you, brother. There's the University of Phoenix is paying Kicking off. Kicking in. Um, so Ocean Health, through research, education, and advocacy, will be the mission of the WSL as a 501c. It will be. The WSL will be. A nonprofit. A nonprofit with Ocean Health, research, education, and advocacy as its mission. The WSL professional competitive events and contests broadcast around the world via web, via the internet, will be the primary arm of pushing the research, education, and of course, advocacy of this new nonprofit. Other efforts, content creation and distribution, as we mentioned, there's some, there's some movies being produced, social media, marketing, all of the outreach of the WSL as a nonprofit will focus on this mission. David, the recent WSL Pure announcement lays the groundwork for this. The WSL would still need to convince the IRS, of course, if they have a $100 million investment. Let's say they've only got back $30 million. They're, they're light $70 million. Well, if you can convince the IRS that you now deserve 501c status and to prove that, you've gone, hey, look, we've got this thing called Pure. We've already given $1.5 to Columbia University. You play golf with Ziff. It could be construed that it might not that be that hard for the WSL to convince the IRS and their lawyers that, yeah, you know what? Let's push you into 501c status. So the good faith efforts that have already been shown will now help convince the pencil pushers that, yeah, this makes sense. And this has been done in the past. Sure. It's been done where? I can't tell you. I just okay. made that part up. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. And I'm naive. But uh, but but businesses, for-profit businesses do become non-profit businesses. It's not, this isn't like a new precedent. No, but what would the benefit be? Well, the benefit would be a $70 million write-off. So if you can't, if it's a for-profit, you only get a percentage of that write-off. If yeah. it's a non-profit, you write off $70 million. So Ziff and the guys that he got to invest, there's a little group, a fund that have invested in this, can now write off their, you know, they each put in $10 million, say Ziff put in $50 million or whatever. I don't know what the numbers are. But let's say that they get this. Well, then they've written off $70 million in debt, 100% of the $70 million. Okay. I'm, and by so, the way, I'm assuming a lot of this. I'm not a financial. I'm not an accountant. Yeah. A lot well, of this stuff. But but let's say the worst case scenario is they don't get to write off any of the $70 million. Well, 
they will now get to write off everything else. Mm -hmm. Like every other dollar that's put into the WSL is now a write-off, 100% write-off. Well, so you're suggesting that this would be a plan B in if they've decided that the business model isn't going to work, right. plan B for recouping our loss would be to go this route. Right. Well, yeah, we're going to we're not only we're going to write off, but now that we're a 501c nonprofit, we're going to reach out to the Columbia University yeah. types to the northeast well-to-do blue-blooded and say, "Hey, you're giving money every year. Why not give to ocean advocacy, yeah, to yeah. ocean health, to ocean research through the WSL? We're a 501c. Oh, and by the way, when you do that, guess what you get to do? You get to fly to Hawaii and hang out with Kelly Slater on the North Shore. You get to go to Tavarua yeah. if you want. Right. These are some of the perks of your donation. So take the 100 mil that, or the, let's say the 10 mil that you give to the cancer or to Susan G. Komen or whoever. Take half of that and give it to us. So now all of a sudden, the funding is pure profit coming not profit but it's no. pure rep pure revenue coming into the wsl so you're from new sources we don't have to reach out yeah. to samsung and do the grind and kiss their ass every year or every five years whatever it is so you're suggest this is a harbinger i'm that i'm suggesting this that the a, business model that they've thrown in the towel in regard to the business model and are taking up plan yes B this is plan to B. recoup their losses and to set into motion a, a financial plan that'll keep Everybody going. Got it. So future donations to the newly minted environmental nonprofit will be supplied by these well-heeled and properly connected Ziff family, friends, and acquaintances, and their respective companies, corporations, and foundations, of which there are many. This guy is connected. Right. And so all are his people. And why wouldn't you want to give? I would, if I had a lot of money, I'd give to this. What philanthropist wouldn't want to donate for ocean advocacy and get to hobnob in tropical locales with gorgeous pro surfer types? Plus, they'll be looking for BOD members. What a cool BOD to be a member of. Can I Almost. offer devil's Hold advocate? On. Yes, in a second. The WSL's mission of Ocean Health would uh, reach worldwide audiences. No greater advocates, David. You and me, surfers, will continue to represent the world's oceans. And now the world's best surfers, the top 34 men and top 16 women athletes on the WCT, will spread the message. With surf fans supporting the world's best, we will also be supporting their mission. Envision with me, David, if you will, next year's Australian leg of the tour. Close your eyes right now. Go ahead. Close your eyes. Done. And witness all of the WCT surfers wearing shocking pink wetsuits during round one. Ocean awareness, Susan G. Komen style, like they do in the NFL in the month of October. Like Julian Wilson does. Right, already. And more good news, the WSL uh, professional surfing circuit will be funded for decades. It's a win-win-win. Pro surfing wins. The WSL's 501C wins. Ziff and his investors win. Most importantly, ocean health, ocean research, ocean advocacy wins. David, can you ever have too much ocean advocacy? The answer is no. I'd like to be alive when we can affirmatively say, yes, stop advocating for ocean health. But we can't. I doubt that time will come soon. If you sense any cynicism, David, you shouldn't. It would be easy to write this off as, at worst, a shady business move or, at best, an opportunist manipulating the system. Haters be damned. In my eyes, the end justifies the means. This is a good idea if, in fact, this is the intention of the WSL. If it isn't, it should be. But at this point, David, it's pure, P-U-R-E, speculation. <laughs> When Scott, like I said last week, when Scott does his research, the show is drastically was improved. There wasn't not much even, not, research. Okay, not research. Preparation is yeah. what I meant. Yeah. When you actually 
prep. Uh, Sounds so, like a good idea. No. Well, no, there's no downside. Here's the deal. Whether it is done for nefarious purposes, that being the write-off the loss, or it's done... I don't even benefit. think the write-off is nefarious, first of all. That's just no, smart isn't. business. Yeah, no, it isn't. Nefarious isn't even the right word. So I'm cool with it either way. Whether it's done for them to be able to write off their business losses or out of genuine care about the well-being of the earth. I think there's sincere care for that. I don't doubt perfect. the sincerity. Either way is fine with me. I don't mind either no. way. I think it's good. It's a great plan all the way around. I've crafted a great plan. Thank you. Well done, Scott. What was your devil's well, advocate? Well you written, wanted, too. You wanted to write something devil's advocate. You said well, you I was going to play- Yeah, and, and then you, you launched right into what I was going to offer, which is just like, there's no downside to this. Yeah. Yeah. So, agreed. Well done. Thank you. Can I mention one thing about the WSL and their broadcasts? Um, why are the commercials so redundant? It's the they don't sa- have many of them. They don't have many sponsors. Okay. Fair enough. I'll give you one example of where they can make a change. They're selling jerseys. Yes. In the first event or the second event of the year, we saw I am Mick Fanning. Right. I am Mick Fanning. Go buy Mick Fanning's jersey. In this, we saw the introduction of Adriano. Right. But they only showed the Mick one in the Bells event. Right. And they only showed the Adriano one at this event. I assume there's going to be five more coming throughout the rest of the year. Why not mix them all in together throughout the events? Don't save the Adriano one for the Margaret event and then exclusively play that. Yeah. You're Rotate right. Look, those got, five throughout the event. You could argue they've got 20 guys they could throw in there. They're And they're going to. We're going to see those yeah. later. Why not just unveil them all at the beginning and cycle through them so I don't watch the same commercials every time? Right. I get so annoyed. As soon as I hear the music come on for the Samsung commercial, it's like mute. Well, if that's their greatest production problem, then they're in a good spot. I mean, they can certainly make more of those if they haven't already, like you say, and put them in the rotation. I love but that. But here, here's the – it's it's a, it's a catch-22 with what they're doing, like – well, here's you the need ad- it's you need 28 hours. Well, how many hours of, pro- of broadcast are we? It's so much. You're going to be it is, re- it's going to be redundant no matter but what. But their main user, the main viewer watches all of it. You right. don't get a lot of people that are just tuning in for Kelly Slater's heat anymore. No, I, I you agree. know what I mean? I agree. So that's that's a problem. I'm just saying no matter what, it's going to seem redundant is what I'm saying. Okay. Unless it's a new commercial every time. We've got big news on the Big Wave World Tour. Hold on, let me just say one more thing. Okay. I, I want to say this because we give Strider a lot of grief. I actually thought he did a really good – he's got – let me just say this. He's gotten better. Okay. He he seemed more measured and not so, oh, my God, I've got to fill this time with something, so I'm going to talk. And even though I don't know what I'm going to say, stuff's going to come out of my mouth and here it goes. And, uh, insane. It was insane. It was insane. Yeah, really? so insane. He's gotten more tactful. I think somebody said, look, dude, just – you don't have to – spout so fast. Like I, I don't agree. I'm just saying I noticed a, a very slight betterment. Thank okay. you, University of Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> I I will I will be honest and say I'm not saying he he was in all time he was in all time form. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. Like, Maybe I, I was just like tripping, right. going, "Oh, oh man, no, it's no. not getting better." We love Strider. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we just don't want to see. Him. <laughs> no. So, yes. big wave world tour news. Yes. Um, Nazare has been added on on the men's side. That's going to be gnarly. But even bigger news. Two events have been added for the women's Big Wave World Tour for the first time ever. So they're going to. Hold gonna, on. Yeah. Did you see the key word in this whole press release? No. A potential women's event. Capital P, potential. Well, all of the events are potential. There's a lot. A lot of the events don't run every year, even on the men's side. Right. But, so I think that's. Nazir 
event wasn't called potential. Yeah, it is. It's potentially going to run if they get swell. All right. That's what the potential is. I think that if there's swell in the waiting period, they're going to run the women's event. That's what I think. Now, the contestants, the women athletes are going to be handpicked by the commissioner. Yeah. How many women do you think you could handpick to run an event? It's, I guess Piahi or Totos? Well, I could see him doing it Totos. Although Piahi's warmer. I mean, no, there's there's a crew of women that serve Piahi. I know. Yeah. I, I'm not doubting it. Paige Alms and there's a bunch yeah. of girls. I'm just saying, how many? You think you can get 12? Can you no, fill no, no. 12? I, I tried to think of them when we were prepping for the show. It was like... Keala, Paige. Savannah O'Shaughnessy up in Mavericks. Yeah, okay. Um, I quite frankly think Carissa could surf it. But we've never seen her try. I know, but... Yeah. I mean... Maybe not. I mean, but one of those girls that's on the tour already, I bet could do it. Like some like big boned girl like Bianca or something. You know what I mean? No, like a strong woman. Like you got to be strong. You can't be Sally Fitzgibbons. Yeah. Although Kai Lenny's like Sally Fitzgibbons and he kills it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's more about heart than it is about yeah, you're right. anything Strength. else. And yeah. there's women who have committed their lives to doing it. Yeah. But my point is just that I'm trying to think of the names and they That's haven't what I'm really saying. Could you get 12? Could you get 12? Could you pick 12? I don't know. Ask Pete Mel, you know. Are like, there 12 women? Like, are there eight women we don't even know about For that sure are charging? There are. For sure there are. Yeah, okay. For sure there are, but I think the real question here or story is we don't know who those people are. They're not publicized. Which There's is not stories being which, done. Which yeah, that, I like. That I'm, is I'm the real story. I'm looking forward to finding out who they are. Right. So who interesting. I'm down to see it, though. So, But really, like, can you ma- name – okay, so you named Paige and we named Keala. Who else? Savannah O'Shaughnessy. Oh, yeah, Savannah. But who are we missing? There's an obvious one, like – that we're missing. Oh, the what about the girl that almost died at oh, Missouri? Oh, yeah. Maya. Maya, yeah. Maya, Maya Gabbiera. Yeah. For sure. I think, yeah. I don't know. There's four. By the way, speaking of Nazare. Um, Nazare, Nazir. It's, they added it on the men's side. It's going to be a paddle event. Gnarly. I know. Have you seen anybody paddle it when it's at its, when it's maxed out? It's unpaddleable, right? It's such a freaky wave. It's so gnarly. And when they were talking about it in the morning show, Ronnie mentioned, he's like, yeah, I remember when uh, Shane Dorian went there. He said he sat out there for like four hours and he got two waves. Like, how are we going to watch a 30-minute heat and expect guys to get two waves in the heat? I don't know. It's... And Pete's like, no, well, that's what the tour is supposed to be about yeah. is pushing boundaries and requiring guys to risk it. Yeah. That's what we want to see. And he's <laughs> like, we're going to see it. Oh, my so, God. I know. I'm psyched. That's going to be gnarly. Could be um, the most boring broadcast ever, or it could be I, the best thing ever. I'll like, tune in to check the it. The event was insane. Um, must-see moment, Dukes and Kooks. Do you got any? Um, well, I've got this Lunata Bay lawsuit. Did we talk about this last time? Yeah, but there's updates on it, I'm sure. There are, aren't there? They're trying to get a class action. They're trying to get enough people. I. What's The interesting thing about the Lunata Bay lawsuit to me is how mainstream the news is. Because I Googled it, mm-hmm. and... I pulled up CBS Morning, the CBS Morning Show. I forget what it's called exactly. CBS Mornings or whatever. But it's Charlie Rose and it's yeah. some other, you know, New York types. Yeah. National broadcast. National broadcast in the morning and it's Charlie Rose and this lady talking about it. And um, and then they did a like a journalistic news piece on it. And they yeah. showed... They showed the guys getting served with the lawsuits and oh, like really? putting bags over their heads and closing really? the doors. And it was pretty insane. Awesome. So that's what's interesting to me is the mainstream level that this has come to, which means that, that the lawyers behind this have got a PR machine going. 
Yeah. And they're making it happen. And this thing is legit and for real. Yeah. And and it's not going to be like your typical Lenata Bay story that blows over. I think which has happened so often. Yeah. People video comes out of somebody getting punched in the face. We all talk about it for a day or two, and then ultimately we decide oh, I just won't surf Lunata Bay. Was it Chris Talua, the guy that you? Yeah, the, he was mentioned in a New York Times article too. Yeah, so I mean that's what he's it, been like. It's in the, the New sphere. York Times. It's been yeah. It's been on CBS Morning National Show. It's yeah. it's pretty getting a lot of coverage. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, good. Um, do you have a must see moment you want to discuss? Um, do you want to wrap this up? No, I don't need to. But I've got those things. Unless you got another topic. Well, I've got this one other topic. Yeah, this go. Santa Cruz surfer has sued the city. His name's Glenn Harper. Oh yeah, I saw this story. And he was walking down at Pleasure Point. Yeah. He a big high tide wave kind of hit him, made him stumble. He fell backwards and ripped open his hand on some rebar. He got I don't know quite a few stitches, and his hands really screwed up. Not not quite a few. I mean, it was like fifty or sixty. He's had or several something. surgeries apparently. It was like really bad. Yeah. Um, he sued the city for $10 million and the suit names the engineering firm that put in the riprap that created this, that had this rebar in it. It names the state lands commission as being responsible for managing this area. And I think the coastal commission is also being sued. So it brings up this, this sort of bigger issue that when we as a government, the state or the city decides it needs to protect the encroachment of the ocean upon the land and we build this riprap or build whatever it is we build. And then 20 years down the line, it gets eroded. Is the city responsible for that? Or, and do they have to keep coming back and making sure that it's a safe place for the end user? Yeah. Or is this just more, Hey man, it's surfing. It's dangerous. There's rocks too. There's rebar, there's rocks. There's been army Corps of engineers stuff floating around for 80 years. Right. Um, and so is the state, is the city, is the municipality responsible for this? And if we say, yes, they are, doesn't this, in fact, then give the city the ability to go, you know what? It's too dangerous to surf here. We're closing this beach for surfing. It's what's going to happen. And that's the writing on the wall here yeah. is that the more people sue, and I'm not saying the lawsuit is frivolous or I don't. I'd I don't, say $10 million is a little extreme. Yeah, fix my board and give me ten million bucks. <laughs> I mean, okay. So, what was he doing for a living? You know what I mean? Is he now he's not able to use that hand? Let's say how yeah. much was he going to earn over his lifetime doing whatever he was doing? Well, the the, the damages are more in the emotional and psychological, yeah. which is hard to, you Quantify. know, uh, yeah. And of course, they're throwing ten million out, hoping that the city goes. Here's four million. Get out of my face. After tax and lawyers, he's taking home one point five or something. Right. Yeah. So anyway. Um, the numbers, you know, it's sort of more about this global 30,000 yeah. foot issue totally. of this gives municipalities. You get enough lawyers involved and everything will be closed. Yep. And I think it's kind of a slippery slope. And I, I would say that in, you know, 40 years from now, you look back and you go, this was the thing that started it all. All it, all it takes is somebody suing somebody over whatever. And totally. it's like, you know what? We can't afford the litigation. We're just closing it. And you know what? That means that as a municipality, we're now cool. We don't have to worry about it. We told you, you can't do it. Yeah. And it's already the case that, look, when you and I were kids growing up surfing, we just learned the rules of, of the beach, you know, but 
Now, for better or for worse, I'm not saying it's good or bad, you're getting people coming to the sport that are 30, year old, 30 years old. They're like, give me a paddle and a paddleboard. That looks like fun. Or give right. me a longboard. I'm going to go do it. Oh, my God, I can't believe they're letting me do this in this dangerous situation. Right. Call my lawyer. Right. And so there's none of this you know, growing up with it, you know, understanding how the ocean works and understanding the power involved and respecting it and going, hey, you know what? I could die out here. Right. That stuff's been washed away. All you need is to be a 30, 35 years old and a law, have a lawyer by your side and you can throw a lawsuit down and it gets ruined for all of us. Completely agree. Like I surf Huntington Beach Pier. I see people shoot the pier. Like what if somebody falls and hits their head? They could potentially sue for that. You know what I mean? And then same thing that you're talking about would happen in that scenario. So I, I would never even imagine suing. Like if that happened to me, what happened to this guy, which I saw the photos and it was the rebars like rusted and fully exposed and he was getting out of the water, I think it was, and got hit by a wave, like you said, and just fell back and his hand landed on it. Could happen to anybody. It could happen at any beach. There's so many beaches with crap like that. But if it happened to me, I don't think it would dawn on me to sue over it. You know what I mean? Like I just, I don't have that mentality and- I'm aware of the dangers of the ocean, you know? Well, apparently the week after it happened, some local residents went in there and cut it all, cut the rebar off and tried to smooth it out. But it's already, there's already been more erosion and more stuff has been revealed. And, you know, so then the the other 30,000 foot level question is, why are we, why are, why why not just let the ocean do what it does? Stop trying to beat it back. You're never going no. to. It's a waste of time. Yeah. And now we're getting into property rights and private property and tax base and and it's actually there's a really good documentary about Hurricane Sandy on the East Coast and what they're trying to do understanding that this is valuable property and who's responsible for it when it gets wiped out by Hurricane Sandy. Do do the property owners then get to come back and ask for help from the government? And, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a, a myriad of different issues and questions that are come up. And I forget the name of the documentary, but it's been on a lot of, it's been on the TV hmm. a lot. And um, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Interesting. Very good. My must-see moment. Tanner Hendrickson on Maui. Have you seen his latest video? I don't think I have. No, it's kind of flown under the radar, to be honest, but it's made by Take Shelter Productions, who's done a lot of the Maui stuff and the Jaws footage, um, videos with Kai Barger that we discussed last time, Albie Layer, Matt Miola, all that stuff. So they do a really good job in terms of video production. Um, This video of featuring Tanner Hendrickson is called No Rest This Winter. Features Honolulu Bay, features him doing crazy airs in the windswept Maui, you know, spots. I just always want to shine a light on the Maui boys. Like, I feel like they're underexposed. Tanner Boy doesn't have a sponsor. Tanner Boy? Tanner Boy. <laughs> what the hell is Tanner Boy? Did you make that up? No, no, no. That's is that your nickname. name for him? Tanner but, Boy? But he do you know have- him well enough that if he was here in this room, you'd call him Tanner Boy? I would like to think that I do because I've <laughs> lovingly viewed him from afar. Oh, my God. And I'm, a, I'm an admirer of his surfing. But the reality is these guys on Maui are surfing gnarlier than everybody else around the world. They're surfing Jaws when it's maxed out. They're doing the gnarliest airs in the world. And the only people exposing them are these Take Shelter Productions. Elliot Lebo, I think, is the guy. Yeah. The other guy's name. Yeah. Um, 
that have invested in red cameras and they're making beautiful short films on these local surfers yeah. and it doesn't get the credit that it deserves. So that's why it's my must-see moment. I want to draw as much attention to it as possible. It was published one week ago. It has 31,000 views. Um, huge fan of the Maui scene. Side note, I think Surfing Magazine is starting a hashtag of like get Clay into Fiji. They want Clay Marzo to be a wild card into the cloud break event at Fiji. Scott's shaking his head no. David is going Arsenio Hall style. Hey, I, I would like to see it, but I don't think Clay Marzo is a competitive surfer. I don't think he I don't think he has the mindset. But that's what I want out of a wild card. I want a guy who's gonna drop eights or twos or tens or twos, to be honest, with Clay. Like that's what we liked about Jay Davies last year in West Oz. Does Clay Marzo want to be in it? I don't know. <laughs> Can anybody get him on the phone? I mean, he's kind of like. But his the is he re- even going to show up if he gets in, or is the he reality forget is, his heat, or is he going to want to eat Cheerios instead of surf? Who knows? The reality is, Clay Marzo, arguably, is the best surfer in barreling left waves in the world. I love the way the guy surfs. I mean, he's when you talk about free he's surf clips, savant level, free surf clips. His are probably the best, right? Think about it. Who's got a yeah. better when, – when his clips come out, you're like, oh, my God, we got to watch this. It's savant-level surfing. And it's that's kind of where crazy. it deserves to be. I don't, I'm not sure it deserves – I don't think it deserves – but I do – I would like to see it. I do also yeah. agree with you that as a wild card, he's fascinating. I just don't want him going up against my guy. I'm like, yeah, he's a threat. That's what you want but as a wild card. I agree. I'm just saying, is he going to get past – doesn't matter, right? doesn't matter if he gets past round three. He'll, he will have done his damage. Here's the problem is... I like the idea. Okay, you convinced it. me that this is good. Thank you. I mean, you really did 180 in your little I'm just sitting here like, right right there. the hamsters are running inside my... Between the ears, they're on fire. Here's my least favorite scenario with the wild cards yeah. is what we saw in Australia. You get Jacob Wilcox, up and coming uh, pro surfer who's got these great junior results. But... Nothing like he's a great junior surfer, but he he'll, he's nowhere near the level of the WCT guys. Right. So even on his best day, he's not going to beat the thirty right. second ranked QS right. guy, where or CT guy. Marzo could Clay go out Marzo there and beat Felipe. Clay Marzo honestly is a better surfer at Cloudbreak than probably any of those guys. Even he'd he'd be up there with Slater and John John and Gabriel Medina. Yeah. Like. I He'd agree. be in that top three. Plus, you know, he would push those guys. Totally. He would push Seabass and John John and those guys that need a little push. Exactly. So that's what Okay, we so say. what is it? Hashtag what? I don't know exactly. I'll post it. Um, but I think it was Get Clay into Fiji or something. Who like are his sponsors? Is it like Ruka or something? No, or? no, no, no. He got he picked up a clothing brand. I don't even know how it's pronounced. I can't even read the writing because it's like in script. But <laughs> no, that's not good. Yeah, it's like J something, J O S. So nobody. That's what you're telling me. Nobody. 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 He has no other sponsors at all. Like Quickie, super brand. Right? Yeah, super brand surfboards. Quickie <laughs> dropped him. At well, the that big was a while calling ago. of 2010 or whatever, right. you know, um, with everybody the else. The quick calling? The quick calling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hashtag quick calling. Um, so he's, he picked up some small sponsors since then, but right. yeah. I, whether he has them still or not, I'm not even sure. Yeah. But he picked them up a year ago. Um, okay, Duke and Kook. Well, I gave you my Duke. Yeah. And um, whoops, I said, um, I guess I'll be the, Duke, the Kook for saying um, but... You know, I would suggest to you that this guy that's suing the city of Santa Cruz okay. Fair enough. is my kook. My kook is Martin Potter because he uses the word literally 
when he means to say figuratively. Okay, I've got something fascinating about this. And let me chime in, and then I'm going to let you go. I learned that Webster's Dictionary, they, they redid redefined their... redefined it. They redid a lot of their definitions. Oh, I'm so angry. Literally now, it also it means literally, but literally also now means figuratively. I am so. I am angry. so pissed at Webster's. You don't even know. It just ruined. It. So boycott Webster's. What hashtag is this world coming to. Hashtag boycott Webster's. I learned this yesterday, and it blew my mind. This is so upsetting. Literally We're now means down. figuratively because idiots like you and I from the University of Phoenix use the word. No, no, no. You and I throwing this on Potter. 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 He says it in every heat. Incorrectly, he he goes. The waves are literally firing today at Margaret River That's Main. Figuratively I'm firing. Like, they're not it was on, literally he firing. Liter- be no, on he said fire. they're literally on fire. Not even firing. He said they're literally on fire. And they're and I'm figuratively going, on fire. The water cannot be on fire. It's yeah. impossible. He'll you go. Couldn't create a worse use of the word. No. And then he goes. His, his that turn. His literally his surfing. His no. I think he said. Literally, his brain exploded. His literally, his head exploded, or something like that. I'm like, no pots. If his head literally exploded, figuratively, my brain's like gonna scene, explode. It'd be a scene out of Pulp Fiction where the wolf has to come clean up the guts out of the back of the car, the brain part. You know, like it, no, no. So now Webster's is my kook for dumbing down everybody else because there's people incorrectly using the language. I blame rap music and I blame Obama. <laughs> I blame Trump. So here's the problem, though, is that we are in a position where our grammar can just be so picked apart. And so oh, you know what? how many times I've said literally with the in the wrong. Right. Uh, right. What, would, what would I in the wrong connotation? Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, pots. I've done it myself. Me. Pop Martin. I've done Pop it too. Martin. Martin Potter, Pop Martin. <laughs> I have done it as well, my friend. However, don't ever do it again. Yeah. You're dumbing us down. Driving me insane, Potts. Oh, I also mentioned that Joe Turpel was ranked number eight in our clubhouse. I got an email with a guy saying, that's not the real Joe Turpel. I used the uh, name Joe Turpel, and here's the proof. And he sent me a uh, photographic that's proof. That's cool. Oh, by the way, I want to give a shout out to a guy named Isaac, who I was walking down the street the other day. He was getting on his wetsuit. I'm like, hey, how are the waves? And he's like, oh, it's pretty good. And, and I was kept on walking. And he goes, hey, I love the podcast. No way. And I turn around. And I'm like, how did you know? He's like, it's the voice, man. I could tell your voice. I've had that happen. So Isaac, That's thanks hilarious. for listening. Yeah, it was cool to, to, to get recognized in, in a positive well, way. Well, Saturday I was getting changed. And some guy, two guys were chatting a couple cars away from me. And then one of the guys walked towards the uh, meter or the thing to pay for your parking and he shouted out David, and I look back, and he looks at me, and I'm like, huh? And he's like, oh, is your name David, too? And I go, yeah. He goes, oh, I was talking to my buddy David over there. But for that five-second exchange, I thought that he recognized me, and I got <laughs> like a famous. moment. Yeah, I got a moment of that, like, is this what the limelight feels like? And then quickly. Is this what it's like to be Kobe? Yeah. <laughs> and then quickly, he's like, no, man, you're not no, the Mamba. No, I, I don't listen to your stupid show. So um, my Duke. In yes. closing, yes, Felipe Toledo for the announcement of the birth of his first child with girlfriend Ananda Marcel. Congratulations. I saw that. I saw that. There was um, some chatter on the Surfer Magazine message boards, which is never good. Never oh, positive. I didn't see that. What did people have uh, to say? Just, I don't even want to go there. It's just like sophomoric sexual innuendo, oh. just weird, crazy yeah. stuff. Okay. About him pulling out of an event and then... Not. I don't know. You know, I, like I said, I'm just saying, if you want a dose of, of like really lowbrow sophomoric stuff, uh, it's, it's just wallowing in 
insecurity, go read the forums well, on Surfer Magazine. Well, I'm going to class it up a little bit. Um, is it this, only goes up from there, by the way. Okay, well, I've got a legitimate question. Yeah. Is this good or bad for his world title hopes? The birth of a child? Obligation, responsibility. Is this going to defer his Well, if attention? we look at others in his position... How many world titles, world There's champions plenty of examples. have babies? Kelly Slater did. Yeah. When he was yeah. doing everything that he did, he had a yeah. daughter. But he, you, I don't, I don't want to speak for him, but you could argue that he was not engaged yeah. in that. Like, Par- and then the flip example is Parko's bringing his family on tour that's with him. More, but did he win a title with kids? Yeah, he, he did. did. Yeah. 2012. Well, look, I think it's probably positive. Okay. I'm going to take the opposite stance. It's going to... It's going to. I cause- think it's going to defer some of his attention. Right. I mean, look at Taj Burroughs retiring this year because he's got a baby, but Taj is in a different stage in his life. Yeah. Why? Why that? Why are you looking at me like that? You know, Taj is like the. Some, at some point in his career, he was looked at as the guy, the greatest surfer who hasn't won a world title. Let's say like eight years ago or something. Because he was partying too much. Right. <laughs> That's the side. Well, ellipsis. My- because he's a partier. Right. Yeah. But for whatever, I guess what I'm saying is the reason I rolled my eyes is that at one point, Taj goes, I don't really care about winning a world title. Perennial fifth place finisher. And and that's why I rolled my eyes. Because well, like, well, well, then why are you on tour? Yeah. <laughs> well, Felipe certainly has a lot of great years ahead of him in terms of yeah. surfing ability. Um, and who knows? By the way, he's not married to Ananda. And maybe they, they're going to be happily together forever and but maybe he'll be super involved in the kid's life maybe he won't i have no idea i don't know what kind of a person felipe is but i think that will dictate what the world title hopes will be has his dream been to be a father or has his dream been to be a world title holder or has his dream been to be both you know like it remains to be seen i'm going to throw down some judeo-christian norms and suggest that felipe should get married to the girl if they're really gonna, if they're going to raise a family okay he owes it to the kid to have a mother and a father that are married and in love. And speaking of Judeo-Christian, he seems to be yeah. Christian. Yeah, you yeah. know, like he's praising the Lord oh, yeah. and like rocking the cross tattoos yeah. and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, he might agree with you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I'm just saying I, I'm no expert. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I'm not I here. Think, to, I'm just saying I think, you know, I think that's ha- my opinion for what it's worth. I think having a kid in your early 20s is very, very difficult no matter what position you're at in life. He clearly has the financial means to provide and all that sort of thing, given his position. Like, he's an incredible world surfer. He makes a good salary. But um, it's a difficult thing no matter what you're doing in your life. If you're planning to become a lawyer, if you're planning to become anything, it adds a lot of distraction and responsibility. I'm going to suggest this is going to hinder his world title hopes. Speaking of responsibility and motherhood and stuff, have you seen the thing on Stab with – Malia Ward and her yeah. mom was yeah. like kind of like I guess they use the word adventurous. It's this photo shoot where they're unzipping each other's wetsuits and they're in touching their three each story other. mansion on the it's cliff. It's just kind of like bizarre. A little bit of vomit threw up in my mouth yeah. when I saw that. I was like, this is kind of weird. It is, yeah. I, Chris Ward's daughter and ex baby mama, or his baby mama, but. Ex-wife, maybe I don't know if they were married. I don't know. It, it's it was Jacqueline Miller. I think is Jacqueline name? Miller. She's yeah. smoking hot. By She's the way. super hot. Yeah, I'm not doubting they're that they're both real pretty girls or yeah. women or whatever. But it yeah. just was. 
it just seemed like really like kind of like really you know just one of those moments where to see a mom and daughter posing in bikinis and unzipping each other <laughs> maybe i'm getting old i, I used no, to like that i agree with, <laughs> maybe, I agree with you no that is bizarre <laughs> it's bizarre and who's profiting off like what does this do for either of your careers? It's almost like a fame play. It's it like, is. Okay, yeah, let's, it's a Kardashian let's, move. Let's, yeah, it's a Kardashian move. It's an Anastasia Maybe that's why, move. Oh, an Anastasia. That's why I went, really? Because it's Kardashian, which is just, I guess it sort of highlights the sad state of pop culture. Truly, it does. I mean, the, the reality, I think we nailed it. It's the Kardashian move, and that's what's distasteful about it. It's not like Malia has a mainstream sponsor who's like setting up this photo shoot to advertise their new line of bikinis. Yeah. It's none of that. Yeah. It's, it's just, just like, look at our opulent three story. Look at our asses. Look at our bodies. Look how sexy we yeah, are. That's exactly what it was. It's like bling bling, you know? Yeah. Speaking of which, I need to look at that feature again. I only looked at it once. I it's adventurous. To- <laughs> <Okay>. Well, <laughs> right. Scott. Yeah. Boardroomshow.com and Surf oh, Splendor Podcast. I'm glad you brought that up. Boardroom Show, right? That's coming up in about three and a half weeks. Crazy. Boardroom Show at the Delmar Fairgrounds, May 14th and 15th. You can get information at boardroomshow.com. We've got a really cool lineup of seminars, which I had asked you to help moderate, but you had other obligations. But um, And so one of them, the seminars are, by the way, they're presented by Millennium Foam. And thanks to Millennium for for putting up in the sponsorship here. Uh, Kelly Slater's wave. It changes everything. It changes nothing. A look at Kelly's wave. What it's done is a marketing vehicle for more excitement about the artificial wave industry and what it means to you and me, the average surfer. What's it going to do? How's it going to change the way we live? Who's chiming in on that conversation? Um, the, the panelists are, uh, gosh, you put me on the spot here. Let's see. Who are some of the panelists in general? Maybe not on that conversation, but who do you got lined up? Uh, Nick Carroll. Oh, that the, Brad Malekian, Professor Malekian from USD School of, uh, I don't know, Literature. Anyway, he's one of the panelists there. Um, John Luff, who's the president of Surf Park Summit. And um, I think Nick Carroll. Anyway, some of the panelists are those guys. Oh, Tom, Lo- Tom Lochtefeld. I got to mention yeah. Tom. Tom Lochtefeld from yeah, Wave House, right? What about, um, is Chaz Smith doing it? No, Chaz yeah. is out, okay. unfortunately. I want Chaz in, but Chaz has been, politically, he's been removed. Yeah. And um, so Nick Carroll, Peter Townend, hopefully Brad Gerlach's going to show up. Greg Long's one of the panelists. Uh, Gary Linden's a panelist. Cool. Maurice Cole is a panelist. Great lineup. Yeah, so there's so that's one of them. The uh, real quickly, the other ones are um, professional surfing. Are we not entertained? What will pro surfing look like in ten years? Another seminar is the grass is always greeno. A look at innovation and experimentation. Great title. Thank you. Occasionally, you come up with some. Good Another ones. one is. Um, El Nino, a look back at this big wave season and what it means for board design in the big wave arena. And another one is going to be a really uh, engaging conversation with Jerry Lopez. There'll be a Q&A with Jerry Lopez. So um, those seminars and a whole lot more, a bunch of cool stuff, Young Guns of Shaping, of course, the Icons of Foam Shape Off, presented by U.S. Blanks, is going to pit Pat Ross and Ward Coffee. Uh, who am I missing? Ryan Lovelace. Ryan Roger Lovelace. Hines, Roger Hines. Ryan Birch. Ryan Birch. And um, I feel like I'm missing one other. Ron House. Ron House. Thank you. Those guys are going to be competing, uh, replicating a classic Jerry Lopez design in a shaping competition. 
And there's a bunch of other cool stuff there. Ukuleles, guitars, a lot of entertainment, a lot of engaging stuff. Um, Great, great deals on surfboards and a vintage surf swap. We're going to have a vintage surfboard swap on Sunday. Man, crazy. So a lot of cool stuff. Open to the public, but honestly, access to icons of the, I mean, the most important people are there every year. It's really crazy and fully accessible to the public for what? $15? $15? 10 bucks, 10, 10 bucks, 10 bucks in advance. If you, you if you roll up to the door, it'll be 15 but you can buy online and for 10 bucks. Last year, Tom Curran literally rolled up to the door. And roller skates. Maurice Cole told me he's going to show up on a hoverboard this time. Uh, wow. <laughs> going to get deducted a couple cool points. The roller skates were so ironically hipster exactly. that they were super cool. Exactly. And by the way, I used literally correctly when I said that he rolled up. He literally rolled up on roller skates. Yes. Not figuratively, literally. All right, well, that's all we got. And, yeah, it's um, surfsplendorpodcast.com, and you can also catch the show at boardroomshow.com. Until next time, adios and aloha. Bang, there you go. Yet another episode in the can. A full 90 minutes in the can. Hope that you enjoyed the show. SurfSplendorPodcast.com is where you come to find everything that we discussed in the show. The must-see moments, the videos, the links to the articles. All of it is on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. Also, feel free to leave a comment about today's show in the comment section. And then hopefully I'll see you guys at the boardroom show Um on May 14th and 15th, Scott's industry-leading um, trade show. It's the biggest surfboard show in the industry. It's in San Diego once a year, and I'm glad to be involved and to be there and hang out. We always see listeners from the show. Um, so come hang out there if you want, and it's it's just well worth attending for 10 bucks, especially if you're anywhere near Southern California. Although people do travel from around the world to come check it out. So anyways, hopefully I'll see you there next month, but we'll post a podcast before then for sure. So I'll talk to you before then. All right. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in. Until next week, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor reminding you to shred on.